0: everybody welcome back it's one-on-one with me christian harlow thank you so much for joining me again whether you're watching on the youtubes or apple podcast spotify whatever it might be i am happy that you've joined me here again and that you've been enjoying the one-on interviews it's cool uh you know when we have some people in our space and other things that we kind of uh People who um, I don't know that I've never talked to before in general, but it's always special to me when I get to bring in people that meant a lot in my life and um, and things that, uh, you know, that I think believe it's shaped ultimately where I am and who I am as a as a creator, as a performer. And and uh, I've mentioned if if you've been following me at all on um, I mean, I can even throw back to when uh, Dean Cook was on the Collider Live show. I don't know how how long ago that was the year or so. And year and a half. And I brought up on that show, a guy that I consider to be my mentor, a guy that uh, to me was, had it not been for this gentleman, I don't know if I would have, I would have just been screaming and yelling and potentially injured myself on stage because uh, I I didn't, I didn't have levels. This guy told me, I remember he told me, uh, he said, you're starting off at a at at, at, a, at 125 miles an hour. Bring it the fuck down. Start at like 20. Start at 20 and eventually get there, get there, get there. And it always stuck with me. He is a brilliant comedian. He is a friend of mine. He's another East Coast gentleman. And it's okay if he's a Red Sox fan. We're not going to not gonna give him shit on that. Well, maybe we will, but we'll be joking around. Uh, I'm so excited to finally have this gentleman on my show. I haven't spoken to him in a little bit. He is the one and the only, the great Paul D'Angelo. Hello, hey. Paul. How That's you doing, a very brother? Nice intro. It's the truth, man. It's the truth. I was like, it's, you know, it's funny, Paul's I've i been, um, I don't know if you've been watching it, but on Showtime, they had that, that comedy store doc.
1: Oh yeah. I've been watching it. Yeah.
0: So, you know, that was my, that was my home. And again, I, I credit both you and Brett Ernst for the reasons that I was able to get into that club as a regular. Um, because, I've been really inspired lately. I've been writing a lot more. You know, it was stand up, and and I and I always it it, those days because you and I, for the audience who who get caught up in kind of our backstory. Back in I I got to LA in like late '99, like early 2000. Um, I started doing stand up like around like you know the uh luna park and martini lounge and places like that and i don't know how you and i like the first time we met but i just know that we just kind of hit it off and just kind of um shooting the shit at one of these clubs and we just became buddies
1: yeah yeah it's it's, it's a long time i was there from uh, 96 until 2002 okay so i guess uh i had been there a couple of years before you got there and um And, uh, yeah, I don't recall how we first met, but I'm sure it was one of those open mics because they used to hire me – or not hire me because I didn't get paid, but they uh – they would get me to close out the shows from those open mic right. shows.
0: Right. It, it was the bringer did. shows. It was the bringer shows. Like you'd bring, you had to bring like three or four people, and then like you said, yeah, they I, I always remember, like I think that I remember seeing you going, well, this guy's certainly not a bringer. This is like a real comedian, <laughs> you know, Not that the <laughs> other ones the weren't. But you know I mean.
1: Make you guys bring people. You just moved to L.A. You didn't know anyone, and the people you did know had no money. So okay, <laughs> no, you know, it's
0: kind of crazy. It was crazy, but uh, yeah, but if, but through that, you know, uh, we kind of struck up a relationship, and and it what I also find very rare about you and the reason why I always hold that story um, of how you helped me comedians don't like to help each other. Normally Comedians don't help people normally.
1: Well, you know what? Comedians are, um, they can be an insecure bunch. I mean, and, um, and also it's a very solitary uh, job. You know, you're on stage alone. uh, uh, You you live and die by your own act. Um, It's a very solitary type of thing. So you got to be protective of yourself. So I understand the reason, the reason I, I didn't feel that way is because I knew I was going to work harder than anyone else. I knew that my act, I wasn't worried about if I saw someone who I thought was better than me or was good, I just went home and worked harder on my act. So yeah. I think the people that do that, they're insecure, or like maybe you're coming up, they don't want to help you out that much because they're worried about their own uh, situation. But um, I, whenever I could help somebody, especially if, you know, I had been doing it. Actually, when I moved to LA, I'd only been doing it about maybe about 10 years. Okay. And But if I could help anyone out um, in the learning process, if I could cut that down a little bit, if I could give you some good advice, um, then I never hesitated to do that because I was worried. Because no matter how hard you were going to work, I was going to work harder anyway.
0: It's so true. I always remember that. I remember watching you um, and I remember when my dad came to visit and I told him he wanted to go see a show and and we took him to see you at the uh, Comedy and Magic Club in, in, uh, in Hermosa. And I just remember talking to my dad afterwards and like you had that you had that. way that you would structure your act your jokes it was it was like when i when i got inspired to watch comedy as well when i was when i got inspired by watching comedy as a kid with my dad were those hbo specials the ones back in the day and you could just tell you came from that school you came from that school of just it was just so well thought out and planned out and like this like the art of the joke like all of that and um and to watch you work and that's why i wanted to talk to you about like because as you said you were only in it like 10 years before and that reason why is because. What was your other job before you started doing comedy? Uh,
1: Yeah, that makes me a little unique. Um, I was an assistant district attorney when I started doing comedy. I was a prosecutor. Um, I I, I had never dreamed of going on stage. I had been there about three and a half years, but I was a huge comedy fan. And my influences, when you say structured, my influences were the comedians on the Ed Sullivan show, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Bill Cosby, huge influence, a great, great story. I, I know he's a you know, Taboo. people look down on him now, but I <laughs> yeah, right, think right. I was a great, great comedian and, right. and a great storyteller. And if you notice my act, it's, it's kind of um, it's, it's not one liners or anything. It's kind of story, kind of Colin-ish uh, kind of Cosby-ish, but uh, you know, with but like with rapid fire jokes within the story. So, um, so I was structured there, but I also was very lucky to grow up in in Boston In Boston um, for people who don't know, and you can hear Joe Rogan talks about it all the time, um, Boston, the, the comedians who started the first generation of Boston comedians set the bar so high that uh, you couldn't help but be good or you'd be swallowed up. You, you, you wouldn't have a chance. And it was, uh, I had my own show at Nick's in Boston that was 400 people seven nights a week, sometimes yeah. four shows, five shows on a Saturday night. And it was like the uh, it was like the Russian roulette scene in Deer Hunter. I mean, it was like a cockfight <laughs> in there. But if you right. didn't, uh, guys get eaten up in that place. But you know, all, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Right. So um, that was my that was my genesis in comedy, um, and uh, well, before I get to the next generation of comedians. But um, when I started out, I was an assistant DA. So I, um, you know, I'd gone to law school. I was a prosecutor. Everything. I couldn't afford to suck when I started out, right. so I, I literally wrote for a year. I wrote, I had 25 minutes of material before I did five minutes on on stage. But how do you, but Paul? How do
0: you, how do you make that move? Because you're cause when you when you're you, that's a I mean obviously what, people. Um, make a big uh, decision to, to have that career. And not everybody can do that career. And the fact that you were doing, you were successful and then getting to the place where you're like, okay, you know what? I'm a big fan of comedy. I'm leaving this job. Like what, what was that like? First of all, how, how, how easy was it? How hard was it to come to the decision of I'm going to leave and do this? And how many people said, Oh, are you fucking nuts? Well, everybody
1: said it was nuts when I started out. Cause it was a one-time deal. I, right. I'm going to do, I'm, I'll do one show. And that's get it out of my system. I, I had never dreamed of going on a stage, but I did my friend. Uh, my friend had a bachelor party, but it was one of those, you know, it wasn't like a crazy bat. It was one of those sit down dinner type things where we were going to roast them. And I, I literally prepared for a month. for it. There was probably about a, a 45 minute show that I put together just for him. And I was shit faced and, uh, <laughs> and nervous, yeah. but I did it. And afterwards, everyone came up to me and said, that, you know, we want to hire you for our show. I said, no, it was a one time thing, but. The thing was, at the time, I used to go see live comedy in Boston. And Stephen Wright was my favorite. I don't know if you remember Stephen Wright. Of course. Yeah, and, he was, he's uh, in the
0: comedy store, Doc, also.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. And, um, and um, so uh, I had never dreamed of doing it. But I used to go see those comedy shows with these great comedians. And instead of going as just a spectator, I, I started to become a critic. I said, well, you know, this guy's not that good. I think I could do better than him. So I, I knew I couldn't I couldn't go that, through that obligatory phase where I was going to suck like anybody right. else. So I wrote for a year. I literally filled up I don't know how many notebooks with, with ideas and everything. And, um, and when I went on stage the first time, they literally had to dragged me off the stage. I mean, the guy, the guy, the host came out and grabbed me by the arm, pulled me off the stage. And, <laughs> how long, uh,
0: how long did you do your first time?
1: Five minutes? Well, I probably 10, I was supposed to do five. And right. uh, and he finally came out and took me by the arm and led me off the stage. And I only did like a, a half dozen, no 12. I did about 12 open mics and that was it. And I quit. Cause like you said, my parents were on my back. What the hell's yeah. wrong with you? You know, you're a great lawyer, you're a great trial attorney. Um, you know what's wrong with you? So I I actually quit, and I was ready to take a job with a big law firm in Boston, and I chickened out at the very last minute. I called up uh, Barry Katz, who's you know, producer, of last comic, standing Dane Cook's manager, uh, uh, Dave Chappelle's manager. Um, I called Barry Katz and Mike Clark, Lenny Clark's brother, and I lied. I read off a, a piece of paper with all these clubs in New York that I had never been to, like you know the Danger Fields and the Comedy Store, Comedy. Um, seller, all these things. And I told them that I had played there, and I begged them for an audition. And they came to see me. And um, when I first... I had added a guitar to my act, which was... I only had for like... I've been doing this for 34 years. Yeah. And I only used the guitar for the first couple years, but it it allowed me to headline after doing 12 open mics. And I all of a sudden went from uh, just working my day job to working four, five, six, seven nights a week right. at night as a headliner and doing, you know, headliner sets. Um, at the same time, I was holding down an incredibly responsible job during the day. Uh, actually one of the, for a couple of years, I, I supervised the busiest jury session in Massachusetts. So um, I, uh, I, I worked my ass off and I was exhausted back then, but it was the best days of my life. and, And that's when I took off. And now, when we talk about the second generation of of Boston comedians, these are the guys that I started out with Uh, Billy Burr. Yeah. uh, Louis C.K. started the exact same night I did. He signed He reminded me. He said, You know, we signed up for an open mic the same night that Louis and I were in line together. Wow. Um, uh, Mark Marin. Yeah. uh, uh, Joe Rogan. uh, Dane Cook, you know, Dane, I used to give Dane spots at my, sh- uh, my, my show at the, uh, at the, at the, uh, Nick's comedy stuff.
0: Yeah. He, had, he so, had very nice things to say about you also a lot when I, when I had an interview with him.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so, so the level of comedy in Boston at that time was so incredible. And if, and if you didn't suck it up, I mean, you were just going to get eaten alive, but see, but that, that's what helps you. I, I can remember being at the <laughs> Hamosa beach and, and the only validation I got in six years in LA was actually from the other comedians that I, that I admired, um, uh, guys like uh, Chris Rock who came up to me and, 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 uh, Dice Clay and, yeah. and uh, Drew Carey and Gary Shanling and stuff. And Arsenio, we were doing a show in um, Hermosa and, uh, Mike, uh, Lacey, who was great to me when I was in LA and will always be a friend, um, he said to Arsenio, he said, you're going on after after Paul. And Arsenio was at the height of his popularity at that time. And he said, right. I'm not going after that guy. I've seen his act before. And he said, do you mind going after Arsenio? And I thought about it and I said, you know what? They used to put me in the worst situations in Boston at midnight. And the, the crowd was crazy. And the guy that was going on before me, he did 40 minutes instead of 10 because he wanted to, he wanted to screw me. He wanted to establish his yeah. territory and everything like that. And I said, you know what? No, I can do it because I, I, I did it under the worst circumstances. So to me, it was no worse than going on at midnight in the third show on a Saturday night in Boston with a packed house of four or five hundred people. So right. all that stuff just made me a good comic. But you know what? I, I look back to those days in L.A. and L.A. made me an even much better
0: comic because I became a better writer. Well, let's talk about that because so at one point, so you're doing, so you start to, you make the big move, you, you know, your parents and everybody, like, what are you doing? But you know it and you start doing all these clubs, you start doing well in Boston. And then so at what point, because you can make the decision there, right? Most comics can either say, okay, I'm going to go to New York and try it out there or I'm going to go to LA. You chose to go the LA route. How come?
1: In, in retrospect, that's the, one of the only decisions I regret in my life. I probably should have gone to New York and I'll tell you why, because I didn't realize this until later. But when I used to go to L.A., they'd ask agents, managers, whatever, casting, what do you want? And I said, oh, you know, whatever comes up, a sitcom, a movie or whatever. And you know what? It wasn't until years later after I came back to Boston, I realized all I wanted to do was be a stand Yeah, I wanted i wanted to be able to walk into a place like the improv, the comedy store, and they would acknowledge me and put me on stage or something like that. And I would be recognized by my peers. I I didn't care about the fame or fortune or anything like that. And it's unfortunate that I didn't realize that until later. But um, I, but when I went to L.A., the thing that made me a better writer, because I knew I couldn't get on stage when I first got here. I mean, I, I literally it took months and months to get five minutes of stage time at the beginning before anyone knew who I was. And um, so I regretted that I had never made notes when I was an, an assistant D.A. I was an assistant D.A. for 11 years. And then actually... I, I quit to go to LA and became a defense attorney by accident. And I became a yeah. criminal defense attorney for like three and a half years. It, my move to LA got postponed for a while. And um, uh, and then I that made me that's when I that's when I moved to LA because I was all of a sudden I was doing good things for bad people. I was getting criminals off. Oh. Um, I was the bad guy instead of the good guy putting the criminals in jail. And then I had a motor vehicle homicide case where this kid ran over a high school honor rule student. He had no remorse. His family was, they sucked. He was a piece of shit. And I said, what am I doing this for? I could be in Vegas now. I could be working on a cruise ship. I could yeah. be doing makes my it full it time. Makes it easier. Makes it easier
0: to make the decision. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's when I moved to LA. But one thing I regretted was when I was a DA, I never wrote down little things every day, you know, about what happened because every day was so crazy. And I would make them fun and I would make remarks who were fun and things that could have been jokes or uh, things would happen, real things that happened in court that I, I could have made into routines. Uh, and I never wrote it down. I would be reminded by this stuff by all these lawyers who would come in. Remember the time we did this? I said, no, I don't. And I said, Thanks for reminding me. So when I got to L.A., it sucked from the first minute I got there. So I mm-hmm. said, I'm going to start writing a diary and I'll have a diary of how I become a superstar. I'll have my my diary already made, and by the time I, I'm discovered, well, six diaries later, I, yeah. <laughs> which I call the L.A. Miserable series, which shows you how how much fun I had there. I um I I I, I stopped uh, writing those books about the fourth or fifth year I got to L.A., but what it was, what I couldn't get on stage, where am I going to get new material? Where am I going to get my inspiration for things? Where am I going to when am I going to vent my ideas and everything? And and that were those those books were the, were the vehicle for that. And uh, and now I've I, I just published my I had my sixth book published. And um, but three of those books are called the L.A. Miserab series. And, oh really? And Where? it's a day to day diary in L.A. And and they're fucking hilarious. They, I was yeah. Went back. I I looked over them and I was shocked at how funny we were because I was miserable. Comedy yeah. comes from misery.
0: Does. why like were you why were you so why were you so miserable you said you were miserable from the second you got there so it's like what was it just was it the, the because it, it is culturally very different and, and us both being like East Coast guys it's like it, you know it, it's very different from how it is in the East coast and how it is here was it just a kind of a culture no um
1: you know what it was most people whether you're in a, in a rock band or a comedian you suffer at the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. That's when you like, like for instance, like if I started comedy when I got out of college, and I had a, I had a studio apartment, and I had a, a twenty-inch TV and a and a you know a, a a cabinet made out of cinder blocks and two by fours and everything like that, and I moved into my apartment in LA. I'd go, this is like heaven. This is this is luxurious. But right. I I did it the opposite way. I did comedy for ten years. I was a lawyer at the same time. I was booked a year in advance, solid. I could walk into any club and do as much time as I wanted. I had yeah. all my friends here, my family. I had a, I, I worked two jobs. I had a Corvette. I had a Harley Davidson. I had everything I could possibly want. And I went to LA and I moved backwards. I had to stop. I had to go backwards and start from scratch. So all of a sudden I'm in my apartment. My move, my, my girlfriend insisted on in moving out with me. We, I was trying to break up with her. Okay. And I said, "Oh, the only way I'm going to get rid of it is to move to LA, because because it's three thousand miles away." And she announced to me two days before we were leaving that she quit her job and she was coming with. Oh shit! Me. Well, this is the same girl that we had gone to to uh, relationship counseling. Like,
0: how long were you guys to together before to that?
1: LA and and uh, the counselor after three sessions because those guys want to keep those things going. You know, they right. want to perpetuate that counselor and and the guy just shook his head. He goes, you know, you guys just really need to break up. I can't, I can't help you. <laughs> and she she thought, you know, some people would say, oh, you know what? Well, we've made a good run at it. Let's give up on it. But her idea was, oh, I'll move to L.A. with him. Yeah, things will work out great. So uh, she ended up uh, uh, taking off with a movie producer. But it was a good move because she she right. got married, had a beautiful
0: house and kids. And did you and send got, did you send the movie? I got Did you, a st- did you send them <laughs> <laughs> did you send the movie producer a gift? <laughs> <laughs> whoop hold on where'd you go oh like, yeah i don't know the button the button uh so yes it was uh so okay so so that's and how long how first of all how long were you guys together before uh, you know you guys moved and then how long before she, you know she she went up taking off
1: we're together until the third l.a miserable book.
0: <laughs> okay oh, okay
1: and, and and uh yeah and uh and and that's the funniest book because i'm i'm now i'm trying to date and I've I got no self esteem. I got no money. I got nothing. And and that's what's funny. See, when 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 I help comedians uh, write, I give them writing, do writing seminars or whatever. They say, where's comedy come from? Comedy comes from conflict. It comes from uh, uh, attention. So you ask a guy, how's your life? I got a great wife. I got great kids. I, I love my job. I got a good boss. Paying all the bills. It's not funny. But if you right. say, how's your life? You go, my wife sucks. I'm gonna kill my kids. My boss is an asshole. I can't pay the bills. That's where humor comes from. So that's why those books are so funny in LA because all of a sudden I went from having everything in the world and to going backwards. And, um, and I wasn't living in squalor. I wasn't in a cardboard box. I wasn't like some of my comedy friends were selling their blood, you know, they were going to blood banks and selling their blood just to get money. And, uh, so I wasn't suffering in that respect, but I, I had gone backwards, and so it was really frustrating to me. And it was frustrating for me too the, the whole process because um, the entertainment business is different. If you're if you're a baseball player and you're hitting 350 in the minors, they're going to bring you up. Right. But in comedy, it, it, who makes it and who doesn't make it? It's not necessarily who's the funniest, who's the best, or whatever. And it's a frustrating it's a frustrating process when you know. When you have faith in yourself and your abilities and everything, and and you're not getting a break, and you see people around you getting breaks that that might not deserve it or whatever, I, not, I never bitter against them because I didn't think their success meant that it prevented me from my success. I would just right. I just wanted to um, I just wanted to make a name for myself. But in the process, that all makes you a better comic, makes you a better person, made me a better person. And and you know what? And after all, I came to grips with it after I came back to Boston because I said. You know what? That was kind of my Wizard of Oz, no place like home moment in L.A. Yeah. Because I said, you know what? You know, maybe, you know, if I had made it, look at my friend Tom Carter. He came and said Tom Carter was another one that I started out with. Tommy came in second in America's Got Talent. He's got twins. He's got a he's got another child. And, uh, and he's on the road like, you know, 45 weeks a year, you know? Right. And, 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 I said, you know what, this would have just taken me away from my friends, the family of things that mean the most to me. So I came to Griswold, I went back to Boston and resumed my career and was just busy as hell in Boston. And went and I could always go to LA or anywhere in the country and use Boston as my base. So the LA, the whole LA experience, it, 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 yeah, it was tough. It was, uh, it was um, frustrating, but it made me a better person, a better writer, a better comic. because all of a sudden I started writing about stuff It wasn't like one line is a joke. It was it was about my life. I was writing about things that happened to me. And um, my writing, I think, became a lot deeper, a little more sophisticated and stuff like that. So it was it was a necessary experience. And and if it was easy, I I wouldn't have got the same. uh, I I wouldn't have got as much out of it.
0: So when you and so you decide to go back and you're back then around uh, even back now in Boston, 17 years or so. Shit. It's been that long. I guess so. Yeah. 17 years. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, I remember. So the story that I've told about you many times, and I even kind of referenced in the beginning of this was that I was, we were both doing Dublin's, remember Dublin's and uh, yeah. yeah, So Dublin's was that, was that place place to do a show? It was a crazy place to do a show because it, it it was Jay Davis and it, it, by all means, it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked for what for what it was because it was it was just a little booth that they turned into this part. But it was it brought in a lot of young people. It brought in a lot. It was it be it's where Dane started to like yeah. really make his name in L A. You know and and so Dane I remember was
1: with him in the uh, orgasm. Tourgasm, th- yes that's right that that's right
0: to yeah. yeah that's that's absolutely right because I think they even referenced Dublin's inside of that. But I remember doing that show and I had done that because I was doing Luna Park and then I this place Luna Park that no longer exists and then I started doing that. And I remember having a set there one night at at Dublin's, and I remember it very clear we were at your. It was that apartment that you had right near the park, nearby like Griffin, well, not Griffin Park. What what was the? I, the I lived on Runyon Hallett Boulevard. I Runyon, like a, right?
1: A block from La Brea. Yeah,
0: yeah. not too far off from like Runyon Park over there. Yeah,
1: so exactly. so exactly, and it was yeah, yeah, my backyard.
0: That's right. So I remember having writing sessions with you, and you and you saying to me, "You're going look the the Dublin's thing you're doing right now. It's great because it's, it's it's a fucking wild party atmosphere, and for six or seven minutes." I can tell you, you know, because I was like 23 or something at the time, 24, and you're like, that's going to run out eventually, that energy, Uh, like, you know, to be able to do it that much at at six minutes, seven minutes, you should structure, get yourself to where you're starting at like 20, 30% and eventually hit it. Because if you start them at 100, they're going to be exhausted by the time you're three minutes into this thing.
1: Well, you, you, first of all, I liked you as a person, so you're my friend, but also, but I also like, I also love comedy. So, so um, I, I loved your enthusiasm. You had such great enthusiasm. You were gung ho and everything, and you had so much energy, but you were exhausting. And, yeah, and I, I think all I did was just try to get you to challenge your energy. You know, turn it on and off. It's almost like using the mic. If you scream into the mic, you know, after a while, you give people a headache. But if yep. you use the mic, if you use the distance with the mic to 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 uh, have inflection for your voice and everything like that, it's a, it's a great learning process. And you, you 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 had the uh, you had the initiative, and everything you had the personality, you had you had a brain, you had all that stuff. You just needed a little a little guidance, and I was I was glad to help you out, um, as I did many comics in L.A. You know, I, I, yeah, and, and who still like to this day like remember that I helped him out. I can remember one comic said I'll never forget the advice you gave me. I said what was that? He said, I I you helped me write. And I told you a new joke. And I said, what do you think of the joke? He said, I think it's a good joke. And I said, why don't you want it to be a great joke? Right. He said, I never even thought of that. I said, you know, it's the rewriting that makes the joke. Great. How, how, do you, how, how do you want to work at it? How good do you want to be at it?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, I, I, that, that changed my career as a stand-up comic because I started to, I listened to that and I started to then take those moments and, Take those big energy bits, or excuse me, take those big energy moments and put them into the bits. And because of that, I started working that out more and doing it that way. And I remember Brett Ernst coming up to me and going, "Dude, you, you've your set has changed like so much." It's like, "I want to recommend you to Mitzi." Uh, and without that note, Paul, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten into the comedy store. There's no way.
1: And you know what else? When you, when you called me uh, about a month or so ago, yeah. I was having like the worst day. I was just down. I was I was in the car with my girl, going out to eat. And you called up and you told me you were so nice and uh and you attributed some of your success which i, I you did it on your own you, it wasn't me i might have helped a little bit but but you just made me feel uh, self-worth that day because i said you know what it wasn't a waste of time in la if i made an impression mm-hmm. on anybody um but you know i didn't make the impressions i wanted to make like on you talk about the comedy store, yeah. The, the special on Showtime. I'm la- I'm watching it with my friends, and they said they had a segment called the Ears. Yeah. And I'm going, oh great, that's right in the middle of when I was there. I, yeah. I did it just right, you know. I, yeah. it, it, it seemed like my whole career was one thing like that. I like when I used that guitar at the beginning of my act. I was able to open up for like 60 national acts from uh, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, Huey oh. Lewis and the News, uh, the Temptations, the uh, Four Tops. Uh, uh lyle love it. you name it like all these people and um, and uh Hall and notes were doing a, a national tour an acoustic tour and i opened up for them in a place with about 2500 people and all the stage hands came up he said oh my god Holler notes they, they the manager loves you he wants to take you on tour with him they would pat me on the back and everything yeah. go see him he's in the office with Jim, the owner so i walked into the office i said that hey you want to um, you want to talk to me and he looked back and he said yeah, that's all we need, a fucking DA on the bus. I said, no, I won't say anything. I'll quit. <laughs> I'll, leave. I'll leave. It seems like my whole... Right. So now i like, look, at the comedy store. Man. The dark years. Oh, the Paul D'Angelo years. Yes, the cool. dark
0: <laughs> Well, And I get
1: a great story. Mitzi was an icon, and now a lot of people didn't know about Mitzi are learning about her. Yeah. I did seven auditions there, okay? Now, the first audition I did, my friend Patty Ross had moved to LA I helped her out I helped her get started in comedy I gave her the money to fix her BMW to move to LA and uh and she moved out and the first couple times I went to LA I stayed with her and uh she ended up befriending befriending Mitzi and Mitzi she actually lived in that that little apartment in the back of the comedy store where Sam Kennison had lived and all those people when they were starting yeah. out so she got me an audition with Mitzi and I did my audition I was a little nervous, and. Uh, and she goes, oh, you did a great job. You did a great job. I'm going to go see what Mitzi thought. And Mitzi said, "She this guy is too polished. He doesn't need a place to work out. Tell him to come back when he's got his own sitcom. And I go, no, I, I do need a place to work out. I just right. moved to L.A. I, I need to work out and everything. Well, I did six auditions. Yeah. And each one got progressively better because I gave a shit less each time. I just, uh, each time I go, she's never gonna pass me. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let it all hang out. So each one I did progressively better. And each time she said the exact same thing. Oh, this guy's too polished. He doesn't need to work out. Tell him mm-hmm. to come back when he got a, a major motion picture or something like that. So, ah, oh, okay, fine. So now I decide to move back to Boston and I get a call from the comedy store and I forget who the manager was at the time. He said, Paul, you got an audition with Mitzi tonight. And I go, nah, I'm moving back to Boston. I tried, forget it. I hung up the phone, and my friends said, "No, go, go to the up. What do you care? Right. You get to lose. Right. You, 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 you do better each time because you give a shit less." And um, and Mitzi's crazy at this point. She she probably she says the same thing every time, so she doesn't even know it's you. She probably thinks you're a different guy every time. Mm. So maybe this is the one time she thinks you're you know you're someone something else, else yeah. someone else. So. So I go up there with reckless abandon. I don't give a shit now. In fact, Joey Diaz, who's somebody, yeah. he's in the he's in the comedy store. Joey Diaz, uh, was with my friend Mitch, West Coast Mitch, I call him because I got an East Coast Mitch friend. And um, and his Joey's friend came out of the comedy store and he said, "Hey Joey, your friend is killing in there. He's knocking the roof off the place." And Joey looked at Mitch and said, "You know, no matter how good Paul does, Mitzi will never pass him." Well. I had somebody go. This would be funny if it wasn't happening to me. Right. But somebody went up to Mitzi after. He said, go find out what Mitzi thought. And she said, quote, unquote, because I wrote it down. She goes, I remember this guy. He ain't getting any worse. (laughs) So (laughs) It's actually a funny story. If it wasn't me, it's a funny story. But I go, what am I supposed to do? I was like, maybe I should suck a little more. uh, You were leaving anyway.
0: And you were leaving anyway at that point. So, and you, and you, you take, well, you take off, you're doing, but did you, did you wind up hitting, because like you said, you regretted not going to New York Um, out of the two. Did you wind up doing more clubs in New York when you went back to Boston? You know what? I did.
1: I did the clubs in New York. I really, the reason I should have gone to New York is because I was a stand up. I could have yeah. worked, I could have worked every night in about six or eight different clubs in New York. I could have gone and been, uh, been showcasing and done all that stuff in LA. I couldn't get on stage. I mean, at the improv, they used to call me the midnight comic because the only time they put me on is at the end of the night when you know they go from two hundred people to they would be a dozen people. It's so fucking weird office. to
0: me though, but it's so weird. Like, did you get answers as far as why? Because like I remember when we when you would do the shows when we were at like people would there. It's very rare when comics stop to watch other comics you know and i remember when we were doing those shows people would be like oh, paul's on let's watch paul and it would be because you you're like because that's that's what you need if you want to know you want to learn discipline you want to learn how to tell a fucking story make it funny make it engaging you watch paul and so it's so weird to me like you like the, the improv and the, i mean i can understand the comedy store thing because no, like, you know
1: comedy store but not only I, I got bumped the only time I, I got any spots at the comedy store was at the very end of the, the night and um I got bumped for an exterminator once. They told me, "Don't bother coming in. We're running late, and we got the guy to clean out the bugs." So, so I got bumped for a fucking exterminator. And uh, and uh, and then when do you remember Jamie was going to open a management company? Frazier Smith, the, the radio personality. Sure. Yeah. Well, he made frazier a manager and frazier would call me up all excited he goes jamie said i can sign anybody i want oh
0: for the left actor, yeah
1: and he says you're the first guy i thought of he goes i tell him he goes eh, i don't know jamie uh, i don't know why i've always been yeah. nice to jamie i always, always had great sets there and everything and um and frazier called me back a little while later he says jamie says anybody but paul i go what did i do
0: what I said, is that that's so I fucking weird, weird to me, me.
1: Like, I banged his sister or something. I yeah. I do anything. I was, re- I was respectful to everybody. I did my job. And uh, yeah, because so it's funny, is normally, Paul,
0: you would you know? hear stories, because you would hear stories normally about comedians like that situations you get into. Like, yeah, they, they either they've been, they, they're, they're problems, they get into fights, they're, they're divas, they, they, st- they steal shit. You're none of that. You're none of that. So it's so it's very because and and I can say it's not like oh yeah you know well this guy must have been causing shit. I was I was hanging out with you. I saw you that's, weren't causing shit. That's my You're,
1: father. My father says, hey hey, how come I see this guy on the TV? He sucks. How come? I said, Dad, I did a I did an audition in front of the same guy. I got a stand ovation. He didn't pick me. It's a weird business. Well, you gotta be pissing somebody off. I go, no, I'm nice to everybody, Dad. Nah, you gotta be pissing somebody off.
0: Maybe you should be pissing people. Off. Maybe that's maybe that's the better <laughs> the better way to go for it. you. Uh, it's I I think that for me I I wanted to ask you a favor, and you can tell me to go fuck myself. Um, but I want to ask you a favor. When when this sure. when the pandemic is done and we're able to travel again, and we're so we've been we've been traveling a lot to um to New York, and we've been traveling a lot to I uh, one of the plans is to Boston, but I think New York will probably be. First, the night before, myself and Mark Ellis do uh, do shows at the New York Comedy Club. I'll uh,
1: come out in a second.
0: I would in love for heart- you to do, would you do a set?
1: without In a heartbeat, I would say. Okay,
0: come. I would love to have you on. I think that it would be great to have you on, the, on that card. It would be great.
1: LA was weird. I, I mean, I ended up headlining the, the Hermosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club, which is arguably the, the toughest club to get into. They headline the, the, the most. They don't do headlining shows anymore. They do like showcases all the time now. But right. I was headlining there, and I was—I—I I got the thing on my refrigerator. At, at one point, I—I I, I had um, the, the the people call in and make requests. They asked them, "Do you request anybody?" I had—I think second to—I think Rodney Dangerfield on that thing, and right. uh, and I was headlining that show, but I couldn't get five minutes at the other clubs. Yeah, and it was—and and that was frustrating. I mean, I was—I was headlining. Theaters in LA that were 1500 seat theaters, but right. I couldn't get in those other clubs. So and the
0: other ones, yeah, because Hermosa, you you did at Hermosa like often. Yeah, you, yeah, you and there a lot.
1: God bless Mike Late. I mean, that was like my family there because yeah, Mike was the only one really give me a shot. And that's a and great I'm not, club. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not slamming those other places, to not put me on or anything like that. I mean, whatever, that's their business. But I mean, right. but for well, me personally, it was, it was it was really frustrating. But
0: I think it's you know just what? one of those theaters. Yeah, Playing
1: I'm back. I was getting back to Boston. And then, right. I fly well, to and uh, I can go to LA when I need to go. Yeah.
0: So you've been doing the stuff there. You've been in. You've been in Boston for a bit. You know. You like you said. You you any clubs you go in? I'm sure. Like you, you, when you go to the clubs, you're you're able to get the, the spots. It's like you know you're not a problem getting spots in in Boston now. And and so it's. Is there so what's the what? You're writing books. Where can people find your book? By the way, if they want to check out something. On books? Amazon,
1: my first two books. One's called Stories I Tell, and the other one's called More Stories uh, to Tell. And yeah. And it just collections of funny stories but i mean there isn't a there isn't like a dull moment in those books they're fast you know what the, the, they're written like my comedy act when i when you write you can be a little more indulgent you can you can give longer descriptions you can drag things out and everything comedy you got to get 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 yeah. the punchline you got people got short attentions, but i think these books are written like like that um uh, so they, they just, I tell people it's a bathroom book, bring it in the bathroom, read one story. If you had a bad burrito, read three, you know? So, yeah, and, uh, uh so those two books, uh, did very well. And then, um, then I had the three LA Ms. Uh, books. And then, uh, I, during the COVID, I, I keep, you know, I couldn't work and everything. So I was writing all these memes and making jokes out of memes or old jokes or things that weren't in my app. And I accumulated like a couple hundred of these funny memes and I put them, I compiled them in a book of just like short jokes and stuff that I had nothing to do during the COVID. I was, all of a sudden, I've worked like four times since March. And uh, I've turned down a lot of stuff like Zoom shows, corporate shows, things like that. Because when you've done it 34 years one way, it's, you can't do the watered down version. It's just it, my heart wouldn't be in it. And I wouldn't give 100%. And I wouldn't be at my best. And that's not fair to the audience. So I've only Done particular shows where I knew it was going to be a good setup, like a theater or something, and right. and stuff. Um, I also I, I did a DVD in in November. Thank God, while there were still crowds when people could still yeah you know mingle and 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 be side because that's when that's when comedy is meant to be done. is when people yeah. are packed in the place and it's sweaty and the uh, their elbow to elbow and the left is infectious. And now instead of a virus being infectious, the laughter was infectious. You know, and right. and um, and I, the, the videographer screwed up the DVD but you know what in the middle of the covid I said I don't know when the next time we're going to work and I had a whole new show so I said we still have the audio right so we released my fourth uh, CD cuz we got the audio out of that what was supposed to be a DVD um so that's five that's five CDs of 50 minutes of different material in each one of those CDs plus two DVDs and and most of what's on those is not on the CDs and a third DVD I didn't release that I just used to cut up for different uh, Thing so I've been really productive in that sense, um, and then during the COVID, you know, not working, I'm, I'm painting and playing my guitar. That's what. Well,
0: that's what I was going to ask you. What What have you been doing? What have you been doing during like to try to you now? You're obviously writing.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, but I've also. Well, you know what? I'm filming this Friday night. I'm am filming a, a new. I have a new show called COVIDians. It's all about oh, COVIDians. COVIDians. Okay. Yeah, it's like a forty-five minute show, and and pretty much three quarters of it is not in my act. It's all. Um, it's all, it's all about the lockdown since March. And so, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll have that that's kept me busy. I've played, I've played in my brother's band. We did some live, uh, Facebook live shows. Yeah. Um, I, I, I paint and draw. So all of a sudden I started doing that again. Um, I, got I got a, I got a uh, an artwork page on Facebook that I put all my stuff on. Um, I've been playing my guitar, doing stuff like that yeah. and it started a podcast. Until oh, you was did. And, oh, and then I realized everybody's got a podcast, so I don't think I don't think.
0: Where is good. that? I'd love I'd love to listen to that. Where what is that? About, it? You
1: know what it was? It was it, it, guys would come over to my house after a show, other comedians. Yeah, yeah. We'd sit around my table with a bottle of bourbon, smoke a bone. Yeah, and we would just laugh, and before thirty in the morning, we'd have to force ourselves to go to sleep. And I said, that's what I want the show to be about. Is uh, is. You know, not like how did you get started. Just tell me your funniest stories. Like story yeah. about your family. It could be anything. Let's sh- and then one story. Sp- and and I want that dynamic. So instead of having one on one for the podcast, I wanted it to be three people because sometimes you get a different dynamic when you get three people. You get that little Definitely. triangle going. Somebody tells a story and it reminds you of another story. And it was it was basically about is about people telling their f- favorite stories that they accumulated over their lifetime.
0: Is and it still I, and is I that
1: on? It, it please,
0: know I I would listen to it. I'd like. I'd love. To, I'd love to. Well, we have giants the,
1: in the industry like you doing podcasts, I know. Mean, i do a giant, but
0: stuff. no. But I mean, but but look, those are the types... I, I would look. I call and the other thing. So Brett Sheridan, who's um he's on my show, my morning show that we do, um and Live. Um, he's been a buddy for a long time. He and I, speaking of Barry Katz, um, Barry had always kind of helped me out when I was. You know, back in the in the early two thousands, and I remember when Last Comic Standing was was doing. I think it might have been the second season. I don't remember, but it, either one at the Improv, they were doing those auditions, and I was on. I I went on the line, and I, met, I remember waiting online with Brett Sheridan, waiting on that line to get into the Improv, and I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm gonna call Barry Katz. And <laughs> Brett says to me, he's like, "You fucking asshole. We've been waiting on this line for four and a half hours, and you call this motherfucker now." He's like, why didn't you call him before we got here? And so we call him, and Barry's like, get off the line, go and drive to San Francisco tomorrow, <laughs> and and I'll and I'll get you into that one. So I had a set at the comedy store that night, and I was supposed to go, but one time I think Rogan went up. I had to go up after Rogan. We drove from the comedy store to then ate shit at the audition the next day because I don't know if you did the last comic standing audition, but there was like, is there's no crowd? You're performing in front oh, of two. Yeah it's awful in front of two producers. And I think that if it was today, I'd be able to handle that audition a lot better because I know how to, uh, even because even then I thought I told myself like, Oh, I could work. the. I I was working the OR. I could do OR with eight people work in the original room of the comedy, the comedy store and work in two producers at noon or, or not even noon, eight in the morning uh, in San Francisco, very different situations. But I called you, I don't know if you, if you remember this, but I called you on the way back from that because I was, fucking bummed and i was pissed off about it too and you said don't worry about it it's a fucking thing you know you, it it was what it is it wasn't a full club you, you had the audition he said you know that's not that's that that's not a comedy club that's not what it is he said you didn't have the audition now go up on stage tonight and, and and feel better about yourself and it was like that's that's what i did
1: well comedy is a roller coaster you know and and, and, and you know what it, and, and there's no bad experience well yeah there are horrible experiences, but but if you learn from it learn from you learn know, it. i mean even I, I, You know, I do a lot of these seminars. I try to help out comedians uh, with writing and stuff. And I, and I think they get a lot out of it because they have a good approach to it. But, um, you know, it's um, – I I tell them, you know, if you do have a lousy set and you don't learn anything from it, it's just a waste of time. But if right. you learn something from – like, like I'll, I'll, let me think of an example. Like, I can remember doing two corporate shows, back-to-back nights, where the mic went up. With five hundred people in the in, in the audience at a corporate mm. convention, and two nights in a row, and I lost my voice and everything, but how I still handled it. And when I got in that situation again, I go, okay, I've been here before. I know I can do this, you know. So as long as you, I say, gee, how would I, how will I handle that in the future? So as right. long as you learn something from it, you, most of the jokes you've got to do them wrong before you get it right. You can't be afraid to fail in this business. Right. So. Uh, so, you, yeah, you, you can't help but get down. You take it personally and everything like that. Last Comic Standing, yeah, I did Last Comic Standing. Um, I, I get to the semifinals twice, once in Boston once in New York. It might have been the first and third season. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, the first season, the first season I, I had high hopes and everything. And then uh, when they were ready to make the decision, I saw two of Barry's clients, Barry was the producer, yeah. walk into the room uh, who weren't from Boston, anymore and i go okay there goes the two spots right there (laughs) and 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 they got so and and they got them to new york yeah and uh, kind of the same thing happened but what what the hell
0: so what are you gonna do but uh so i jumping back paul real quick because you said um you know when i when i reached out about a month ago you're having you were kind of down is that just is that one of the things that because we all same same with me look with covid i'm having like even like yesterday completely honest with you i was just in a mood where i was just like i'm I think that the election kind of took away from me. It was the election to me was an, was a distraction, and I was doing nothing but just watching the news and tuned in and everything that I was forgetting about the fact. I still feel fucking trapped. I can't do anything. I've been I've been so inspired to just stand up again, and I have nowhere to just stand up right now. I can't do my shows. I can't go to live events. I can't do any of this stuff, and it's just that type of stuff is bugged. i'm worried about my kids like they're how the, the way that they're growing up right now and like kind of uh secluded so all this shit's going on is that is that kind of added to it or how you're feeling you feel kind of trapped right now especially because you can't get on stage as much or in the capacity yeah. that you want
1: to i've been i've been working steady i mean all, all the time i mean yeah. working steady for 34 years except for when i was in la and i couldn't get on stage about right i you know, i started getting on stage more at the end but but I'm I'm used to being productive. I, I, I I'm like a shark. I have to go forward all the yeah. time, or, or I or I die, you know. So, um, yeah, it's frustrating for me, and uh, and and it's just and but but your whole lifestyle has changed. I mean, we, Massachusetts went backwards. We were, I was in two restaurants this weekend. I never had weekends off, but that's kind of, that was kind of cool. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, we got kicked out at nine thirty. I had a curfew, and I feel like I'm in some you know I'm feel like in some eastern block you know. Communist country, you know, with mandates and stuff like that, and you know what? Been, I, that's what a lot of this COVID, this COVIDious thing is about. When, when a lot of the rules don't make sense, that means they're not for your benefit, you know. It's it, it, when, when uh, you know, I'm not going to get it, but um, so yeah, there's a lot. There was a lot of things to be frustrated about lately, and 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 one of them was not having a, a, a you know, a, a venue to 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 do my act to grow, right. to, 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 what's used to write new jokes. I said, cause I get no place to, I, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like the an office and a gentleman, I get no place to go. Get no place to go.
0: I, I feel, I feel the same way, man. Like I was like, I was for the first time, it's because exactly what you just said about watching sets, and not learning from them. I went back on my birthday. I just, I I took the day off from work. I just watched old DVDs of sets that I had from, um, you know, ones that I thought were good at the time and ones that I thought were shit at the time. Um, I think that they're all shit now, but, you know, but, but as I, as I'm looking at them, I'm saying, okay, I would do that significantly better. Now I would take my time there. Now I would look at that. I would do this. And I start writing all these jokes and i had this one joke i started writing and i was so happy with it i'm like oh this is i I know that this will go well and i know that i could write this a little bit more if i was on stage let me go wait i can't go anywhere again i have to perform in front of my mirror or in front of a camera like now and i have to just keep working on it
1: which which is which is there's nothing like you no joke no joke you can get an appreciation for it until you do it live,
0: yeah, you of, want to hear instantaneous it.
1: Instantaneous feedback. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's that's what you do. Yeah, and yeah, it's frustrating. Um, I have um, I did a show in uh, I did a show in June, um, in, in a tent, um, that I was scheduled to do. It was it was going to. They were opening the tent in a comedy club in the uh, Giggles, which is probably the best comedy club in Boston now. And um, and and they asked me to do that show, and I and I did what was the genesis of the beginning of my COVIDiots show, yeah. uh, the foundation for that, and I did that, and then I then I didn't work till September. I turned down dozens and dozens of things because it was it was shitty situations, you know, like outdoors and people distanced and yeah. wearing masks and a screen or a, a shield. Yeah, and oh, it's horrible. You know? So I said, no, I can't, I can't do that. So I worked, I, I worked in the tent in, in, uh, in, uh, September, the beginning of October. And, uh, and that's it Four shows. And then this theater that I'm doing on Friday and then I'm supposed to be at Giggles next weekend. And Mike, Clock, uh, Clark, Lenny Clark's brother, who's the, the booker. Um, I called him up and I said, Mike, you know, I, I took this uh, weekend with the, um, uh, uh the understanding that we we're going to be back inside. And he says, and now you're out in the tent in the third week in November and it could be like 25 degrees. Oh, we got heaters now. And he begged me to keep the, so I'm, I'm doing that. I'm doing that weekend there. But after that, I, I, I got a, another weekend uh, at another uh, club and that's about it, you know? Yeah. So it's really frustrating. So what did I do? I channeled my, well, it's it's like moving to LA and not getting on stage. What did I do? I, I I do. I I wrote the books. You know, I right. I said, where Where is this creative process? Where am I gonna? I need some vehicle to 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 vent, which is therapeutic, by the way. That that those books help me in LA because, and writing comedy, especially if you write about like what you're going through now, like if you're writing jokes about how it affects your kids or how it affects you and everything like that. That's a way that's kind of cathartic because, you know, you got all this frustration and everything and you go, Oh, I I turned something negative into a positive. I created something from this negativity. So, so what did I do? I, I, I I get the the new DVD, I mean, new CD rather, which was, by the way, when you say not getting on stage and you're looking at old stuff, thank God I I had that, that audio from November because I said I wouldn't remember what the act was. Right. There's 50 minutes of material that. I need to refresh myself with so i did that i did the book i I always tried to stay busy and stuff like that but after a while you know it just gets to you it does what's the end to this it was supposed to be like two weeks to flatten the curve and everything there's no end
0: well fingers crossed and i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna I'm, i'm i'm hoping i'm hoping that we get to do some shows um you know hopefully sooner than later once 2021 hits and if that's the case i would love to have you out there i'd love to do some stuff with you and um especially if you come here but we're, we're we're aiming to definitely come to boston for the schmodown the thing that we're working on so if we're in boston there's no doubt about it that i want i want to have oh you.
1: i'll set you up in boston That'll i would love you. that you let me know when you come to boston but okay new york, i'll go to new york in a second yeah all right we'll Just do both Last time i was there did the Friars club
0: Oh, did you really? It's great. Yeah. We did. Yeah. We've done, t- we've done. So Mark Ellis was doing shows for sure, but I've been talking to him about um, us doing stuff together. And I, so I hadn't done, I hadn't done stand up in probably, I don't know, maybe like nine or 10 years. And, um, and I was, um, and when Mark was doing his show in New York, he kept asking me over and over and over again. He was like, do you, do you want to do a set? Do you want to do a set? I'm like, I'm like, no, nah. and I was at a Mets game with, um with my friend, Tom, um, and the reason why is because the Yankees right out of town, just uh. To, so, but uh, but the, but the Mets, and we were at the Mets game, and I was like, and I had this feeling, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go up tomorrow, I'm gonna go up, and I'm gonna do, and I told Mark, I was like, you got time? He's like, yeah, of course. So, so I went took, up, and I
1: you took ten years away from stand up,
0: about that, yeah,
1: no
0: kid, yeah. So it, my it was weird because I went in, I had this relationship with stand up, obviously that when after I got made, uh, after I got made regular at uh at the comedy store, I was there all the time, I was doing a lot of sets, I was going up, I mean as about as many times as you can, two times a night, seven days a week, you know, Um, sometimes three or four, if I could find it. And, um, and I, and I kept doing, I was doing, I did colleges. Retta had hooked me up with the, with a college agent. I was doing colleges. Um, And then sometime in like 2008, when I started tapping into this YouTube thing and podcasting and everything, I, I started to maybe rationalize or tell myself that I'm not my thing was I I always said I need to be in front of an audience and I want to get my voice heard and do these things and I found that I was doing that I was doing that through YouTube you know and through the podcasting I was I was performing more daily and and weekly than I had ever done before you know we're putting out these videos and they would get 50 60 100,000 views and I'm like okay well I'm talking to people and and now and then I start doing other things and I was like maybe and then once I got with my wife and and family I'm like maybe I don't I'm not relying on it as, as as much. And for 10 years or so, and I honestly though Paul, I think that maybe this past October, um, it was like that knocking at the door that just wasn't it wasn't loud anymore. It was quiet for a long time. It started getting really loud in October. Try
1: to it's, get out of your system. But you know, you, you see what it, see that the, the stand up though gave you the foundation for you to do it did. these these other projects. It's the same way that yeah, I know it sounds unusual. I did 12 open mics and, and started headlining, but I had done 100 trials in front of a judge or a jury. Right. I mean, when right. you're in front of a judge or a jury, I mean, the pressure is so much greater than doing stand-up. I mean, no, no heckler is going to bother you when the judge admonishes you in front of a, a crowded courtroom. So right. um, so all the skills that I took out of uh, of being a trial attorney, of, of uh, public speaking, having to think on your feet, having to improvise, Having to prepare, having to be organized, uh, having to reach an audience, having to make eye contact, having, having to feel comfortable—all those yep. things translated into comedy. So when I—that's why I had—I wrote all that material when I got on stage the first time. I wasn't worried about the presentation; I was worried about the material. And right. the same way, in the same sense, you doing the stand-up before is—you probably wouldn't be doing—you wouldn't be doing these things that you're doing. No, I mean, no I chance.
0: No, no you chance. It gave you
1: confidence. It gave you the public speaking. It gave yep. you. It gave you uh, you know the ability to think on your feet and to you know deal with a crisis if it happens and if but it got- also
0: separated me it separated me and mark from other people in our space because we you could tell it we would we, we would time, we our timing would be different than other people like we'd throw jokes into places that no, no, other people wouldn't throw jokes in and the funny thing is most of my audience and people that either listen to me or or, or have been watching me for a while they don't know me as a stand-up comic They just know me from this. They found me through doing this. And that's the other thing that I want to do is I want to, you know, I, I, I want to go back to that because I felt the the most free that I've ever felt on stage because you don't have anybody you're in that moment at that time that it's just, it's your space. And if you fall, you, it's because you fell because you tripped over your own feet or something else happened. It didn't work. No one else pushed you. You, you, you know what I mean? And you get back up and that's, and that's what I'm looking forward to doing again.
1: Well, yeah, you take all the credit, but you also take all the blame. You're up there. That's the thing yep. about it's funny because I remember uh, somebody came up to me at the uh, I think it was the improv because it was with my friends and he was an actor, but I didn't. My friends used to make fun of me because I never knew like these people would come up to me. They go, don't you know who that is? He's right. on this show. And I go, I, I watch the History Channel. It's Winston <laughs> Churchill would have to come up to me, you know, to, <laughs> at the time. That's all I was watching. So I don't remember who the guy was, but he was in, uh, apparently a semi well-known actor. And he said to me that as an exercise, he, he came over to compliment me after I did a set. And he said, as an exercise, I had to do stand-up comedy. And everybody told me that's the single hottest thing in the world in entertainment to do because you're up there alone and everything. He says, do you think so? Do you think it's the hottest thing to do? And I go, I said, I, I agree in part. And he said, what do you mean in part? I said, it's not tough to suck at it. <laughs> you, right, right. Yeah. You can suck at comedy, and still call yourself a comedian. So it's like, how good do you want to be? How good do you want to? You get out of it what you put into it. You if you put the, you put the time in. Look at you looking at tape. You're rewriting things and everything like that. That's why you got better. There's no substitute. There's no shortcuts. You know, you've got to work hard. You got to. Like every girlfriend I've ever had would had, be. We could be at a beach. We could be on a boat. We could be somewhere. Give, give me a piece of paper. Give me a piece. Of, I need a pen. Give me a pen. You know, I had notes written on matchbook covers and things and everything like that. And you have to you have to be in that mode. Your, your brain has to be in that mode of looking for things to yep. to that you can extract humor from and stuff. So,
0: it, yeah, um, it's it's funny you say that because now because my wife she and my wife met me I, we met at a at a comedy club and and so but for she knew me for about two years as a stand up comic. Um, so what, she's never seen this side of me to where. You know, walking around, pacing around, doing the bit over, thinking about it what works there, what doesn't work there, okay, maneuver, how am I going to move my body when I'm particularly saying this thing, and as I'm going through it, I said something to her the other day, and she goes, "Wait, is this a bet and, like, <laughs> and, that, and and that's like that's become a thing in the house now, like is this a bet and like so like now that's that's the that's how my brain is working again, so it's exciting, but like you said, it's just a matter of I cannot wait to get back on there because of everything you just said to me of how you know because of stand-up I was able to kind of find my voice and doing the thing that I'm doing now. but I actually think because of what I've been doing for the last 10 years, I hope and I believe that my comedy will benefit a lot more for it because I'm out there the way that I am talking every day to people on the microphone and saying certain things and finding the joke inside of a, a normal conversation that I have with people in the mornings that if I transfer that over on stage, I that's a new phase of my stand-up career that I'm looking forward to. so I ask you, what do you once once we're able let's you know put all this other shit behind us when you get back into it what's the what's the next stage for uh, for paul d'angelo uh, in comedy i you
1: know i don't i don't know i, I mean uh uh just 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 keep in keep improving is funny you talk about me in in la and everything and i look back at that and i say oh my god i'm such a much better comedian now, and, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and and there's, there's no greater thrill than, than writing a new joke and having it work and everything like that. Some comedians, I think they go up on stage for therapy. A lot of comedians, all their family wouldn't listen to them and they go up there and they want the attention and some people want the fame and some people think, I just, I love comedy. I yeah. love humor i mean that's why i'm always writing new jokes because if it's fresh for me you know it's like a dog can smell fear like in someone even though they're not showing it outwardly and everything can, an audience can can detect you know if you're if you're mailing it in they can detect if you're sincere if you
0: yeah if you don't you believe in the joke yeah. and
1: everything so you know um i don't, I don't know whatever yeah
0: well, well, look, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you again. I'm glad that we uh, that we kind of reconnected and and got and got back on um, back on uh, in communication because I'm looking forward to being on stage with you again. That's one of the things too because I, I that's that's something that it meant a lot to me back then. It's going to mean a lot to me again when we get to share the stage the same night.
1: Yeah, that was my that's my 88 year old mother calling me. <laughs> oh, was she? <laughs> the, little, the thing is the thing. I'll, I'll talk to you later, ma. Yeah, 88 I
2: still,
0: years old. Yeah, say of the course i'm month. i don't know who i'm more afraid of my mother or my three-year-old
1: my, my I, mother is my friend the late bob sidwell said the size of a hummel my mother is now and <laughs> i'm still still definitely afraid of it yeah.
0: well, ladies and gentlemen paul D'Angelo. paul let me ask you is where can if people want to go I, obviously they said you can said you can find your books on amazon but uh, are you on any of the social media say on twitter or anything
1: I, oh yeah i have a facebook page i have a facebook fan page i have literally i'd say uh, three dozen more of, 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 of videos of, of clips of, of on there uh, i have an artwork and uh, a photography page that's got all my artwork on there um and they can probably link up if you go to my uh that I, I also have a website uh, pdangelo.com um so oh, yeah I'm on, I'm on all that stuff i don't i got a social media she, girl she does it all i'm a, I'm kind of a moron when it comes to that
0: sometimes. It took me a while to get used to it. But ladies and gentlemen, the great Paul D'Angelo, please go and check him out. And I'd like to maybe try to get you on the SEN Live morning show too to have some people. Uh, Whenever you want. You're
1: my friend for life, pal, you just say the word. I'll be there for you.
0: Absolutely. Guys, thank you very much. Make sure you check out Paul. And guys, if you didn't know that we're on the Apple podcast, you check out the feed, go there. And a lot of people you can check out there. Spotify follow us on Spotify helps us out a great deal. So go and do that and check this out. I'm back here every, uh, Friday to watch it live on YouTube at the premiere, or you can get it on Thursdays. But for myself and Paul D'Angelo, see you next time.